0: Welcome to the United Bias. Uh, today I'm delighted to be joined by Slide and Ruben Krenier. Hey guys.
1: Hey Kiran, how are you doing?
0: Good, thank you. Glad to have a uh, full house again. Uh, Ruben and I were quite lonely last week, weren't we, Ruben?
2: Uh, hey, Kieran, how's it going? Yeah, what a tragedy. And unfortunately, we missed the I told you so session that Slide was in for last week.
0: <laughs> that, that that he conveniently uh, was, uh, he was ill in, in, in Edward well, Commons, yeah. Um, on this week's show, <laughs> we discuss the FA Cup final.
1: Did we get uh, Big Sam'd there?
0: Yes, wonderful insight like you won't find anywhere else on the internet, listener. Did we get Big sam in the FA Cup final? We also discuss if Manchester City are going to be winning the treble against Inter. Uh,
2: and of course, the important part to ask really is who's going to stop them. And in particular, is Manchester United B-team starring Damian Katari and Lukaku going to be enough?
0: We bid farewell to Zlatan Ibrahimovic as he announces his retirement with a goodbye to Zlatan. And then finally, we touch on the Europa League final with a Mourinho meltdown, I believe, Ruben.
2: Yeah, a pretty epic meltdown that spread from the stands into the parking lot and finally to the airport.
1: Was it really a disgrace?
2: Was it a disgrace <laughs> indeed. So stay tuned for today's show.
0: Hope you enjoyed. FA Cup Final just concluded. Manchester City 2, Manchester United 1. Ruben, how did this game unfold and was it what you expected?
2: To me, it was a slightly strange game. You know, my feeling was either that we might get blown away if we concede an early goal. That is definitely an expectation that I had, and I, I know that we sometimes start slow. Or, you know, we might pull one of our classics, which is that it's a tight game, they pull ahead, and, and we somehow fashion a late charge, a glorious comeback victory. You know, turns out it wasn't either of those things. It was a, a very balanced game, a very tight midfield battle, which I think a lot of both teams had their creativity. Quite stifled, I think. I think things were sort of largely pushed. Uh, you know, mo- most of the better attacks came from slightly wider, but on on balance, very much an even game, and really just created by three moments. You know, the, their two goals, one double, obviously, our single goal uh, from a Bruno penalty that didn't really somehow match the flow of the game. Both both sort of odd, all unex- three odd sort of unexpected goals that that sort of materialised out of nowhere. It almost felt like they didn't have a lot to do with this tactical battle or showdown between Pep and Eric Ten Hag. So, you know, obviously, from our perspective, you know, to start off on the back foot like that, really disappointing. I think we sort of sat with a fairly otherwise respectable performance that, you know, I I certainly think at the very least we could hold our our heads up high and and say we didn't disgrace ourselves. Uh, But, yeah, ultimately disappointing to, to lose on what I thought were just a couple of odd moments, which we can get into some of the specifics of. But yeah, on on an otherwise very credible performance.
0: Slide, um, is <laughs> that, is that <laughs> I, is that something you agree with? Is I got a feeling that you, credible is not a word you'd use to describe that. Uh,
1: uh, no, 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 not at all. So um, I think Pip had our number, um, and and he pretty much played us at, at our weaknesses, essentially. So when have we conceded the most goals, most stupid goals? In the first 10 minutes of the game. You know, whether it's at the first the second half or the first half. And that's essentially what happened. You know, 15 seconds, we we already 1-0 down. It was a brilliant shot. But you could see that that was a training ground move. Literally kick-off back to Ortega, who is the second-choice goalkeeper, by the way. Straight to Haaland. Holland heads it down. Gundogan smashes it in. That is textbook from the from the training ground. Like, it, it, it wasn't one of those, OK, cool, where am I going to look for this thing type of scenario? So, it was it, it would have been something that they would have sat down and been planned and said, you know what, in the first minute, this is what we're going to do. And they essentially just executed it to the T. Second goal, again... Um, catch us while we're still sleeping or still trying to come back from the half and we concede, you know yes, um, I feel based on David De Gea's pedigree he should have saved that ball um, I think I was reading some stats after the game, you know where, you know most people are saying like 80, 80%, 80 plus percent people were saying that he should have actually saved that goal um, so it, it, it speaks to, you know again, you know, a lapse in concentration Um Albeit you know, being fresh from from halftime, but you know it's 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 again these small little moments that make you win games that people are still found sleeping. I I, I won't deny the fact that I did feel that we were in the game at one all when we went into halftime, and if the boys had come out wide awake, you know, and, and carried on the way they had finished off the first half. I'm pretty sure we're in for a chance, but again, it's, it's that moment of lapse in concentration that we got caught up, and City end up winning the FA Cup. Now they're in for that bloody treble, and, and I'm not even um, yeah looking forward to next coming this coming weekend. Eh?
0: Okay, let's before we get go down that road, can we talk about uh, the first goal? Because you mentioned something here, the way you've described it, and and it's the way I saw it as well. You know, at the time I just thought that. Pep got a bit of inspiration when he heard Big Sam say that... Big Sam came out a few weeks ago and he was appointed at Leeds and said, there's no... You know, no one knows more about football than me. Not Pep, not Arteta, etc. Did we get Big sam Did Pep go to the Big Sam playbook or the the Tony Pulis play, playbook? Hit the ball long, hit it to the big man, knock down and, uh, you know, compete for the scraps? Is that what happened? And did, did, did we get Big sam
2: Look, I mean, I, I think... It's pretty clear what uh, I I think happened there. Obviously, is that we so if we're playing fairly tight and high with our front four, uh, obviously Pep uh, ten seconds into a game, it's not something that I think Pep could have necessarily looked at and tactically counted in that sense. So I don't think it was some kind of four D chess move to go. Oh well, look clearly, United are, are playing their front four on, on our sort of. Higher line uh, and fairly tight, which means you get maybe going to isolate uh, Fred and Casemiro if you go long and and um, you know and Haaland knocks it down. But as it turns out, that is exactly what happened. And I, I think, especially given how they'd set up, I think it was a little odd that Ericsson didn't track back much quicker when he uh, you know when when that ball went long. To be honest, I, I know you could say it was a slightly poor clearance from Lindelof, well, an actually poor clearance from Lindelof, but I think the sort of tactical error that was made there was probably sitting on Ericsson's door, and, and to be honest, generally, I thought it was one of his poorest performances in the United jersey, and he absolutely, with the way that, that set up, you know, or the way, at least the way that, that we were set up, you know, if you're going to have a, a ball going deep and it's going to Haaland to knock down, you have to have somebody filling in that space, and that had to be Ericsson coming in and filling up that space. And you can see how late, um, you know, I think he was tracking uh, stones at that point and how much later he only picked up Gundogan and at least, you know, moved towards him. But at that point, you know, he was already in acres of space. So I, I, as okay. I say, I struggle to think that it was necessarily a moment of tactical genius on Pep's behalf there. But I do think it was something that was poorly tactically executed by uh, Ericsson in that particular moment. And I, I hate to say it, but I do wonder if... You'd have had Mason Mount in that role if it's something that he may have picked up better with his mobility and supposed defensive smartness. But let's not uh, preempt that particular transfer. Yeah, please, please don't go there. So, so I mean, I,
1: I, I, I just want to expand on on, on the Eriksson part point as well. I think if, if if I'm to be you know critical, he's also at fault, you know, in terms of closing down Gundogan again on that second goal. Um, it it it, yeah. it it it's it's very um, unfortunate that you know a, a talisman of of calibre is 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 the one we're busy taunting at this point in time about um, losing an FA Cup final, you know. Um, but you know it, it it boils down to stepping up and playing in the moment. It's the big occasion. You you your expect the expectation is that you know you, you're coming out. The objective is to win the title. It's not just to arrive, arrive and be there. Um, you want to win, so you, you play. You play your, your guts out. So if you're going to overexert yourself for 45 minutes, then so be it. Someone else will come off the bench if the, if the manager picks it up that you you actually finished. But just put it all out the first 45 minutes or whatever it may be, or whatever duration you're going to be on the field. And those half chances or that those half gaps that Gundogan literally. Managed to squeeze in a good shot and and one that's probably savable in, in the second goal could have been avoided if, if people were on their toes and literally attacking the ball and and, and being very proactive with with um, playing their their their, their roles on, on the day.
2: And and really, I mean, how criminal to think that you've already had a guy put in a, an absolute banger of a volley and then you leave that very self same guy in one of probably one of the most dangerous attacking position City had all game because, you know, they didn't create a heck of a lot of dangerous positions during that game, particularly beyond the first sort of 10 minutes or so when they kind of did have our number. But suddenly they have a, a free kick in a, in a great attacking position and you're leaving not only the the first goal scorer absolutely free prowling on the edge of the area, but if I look back at that clip, Grealish and I think Carl Walker were both hovering, you know, could have gone to any one of them, you mm-hmm. know, to, to put a shot in. So, yeah, it's just absolutely, yeah, a criminal... Of lack of, of defensive awareness. So,
0: there's two things here. I think, I think number one, to take it back to poor, poor Erikson, was it two years ago now? The man was dead. So I don't want to be too too critical of Christian. Yeah, I mean, of Lazarus, yeah. The mere fact that he's playing in an Epic final is a miracle. That's number one. And that speaks, I guess, to a broader issue. Should a 31 year old Christian Eriksen yes. be starting for Manchester United in a deep deeper midfield role. Because let's remind ourselves that Christian Eriksen, the prime Christian Eriksen at Tottenham when he was tearing it up in the league, played essentially two positions: number ten or wide right, essentially on the on the right wing, coming in for Tottenham Hotspur, and he was regularly bringing up twenty plus goal contributions every season. So suddenly we've taken this advanced player who's really a playmaker, um, an advanced playmaker, a number 10, if you will. And we've asked him, no, you're going to be a number eight and we're going to give you far more defensive responsibilities because Bruno's our guy who's going to go forward and advance the game and be, do the playmaking. And then we're going to turn around and say, oh, what a surprise. Eriksson isn't an elite, elite number eight, if you will. an elite. He doesn't have an elite defensive part of his game. No, he doesn't. He's never had that. And maybe it's because... Squad building and, and what we have, the tools at, at uh, Ten Hag's disposal. Does he play Scott? Does he play Fred? You know, the options aren't great there. And, and again, probably speaks to why he really tried so hard to go after uh, Frankie de Jong last season. So I wouldn't be too critical of Christian Eriksen. I think it's a, it's a broader issue of just poor squad management. I mean, ultimately, in the words of Borat, a rat can never be a horse. And you know, that's that's something something to keep in mind when, when talking about El Chris if if we take a maybe take a, a step back from the Ericsson debate, you know the the broader squad management issue and the holes in the squad are just were just I think were glaring and perhaps why some of the things we discussed now is why Slide in particular mentioned how unhappy we were about the performance. And if you look at you know, of course we missed a few players, Anthony was injured. Uh, Marcial was injured, and, and of course, Lisandro was also out, because I think all three of them would have been, would have been sure, sure starters and would have made us significantly better. and so I think it was telling that we missed all of them and the deficiencies that happens in the team when you 've got that. and then furthermore, when you 're desperate for a goal we 'd look to our bench and we bring on a guy who just doesn 't score goals like the, you know what is, what is uh, Mr. Ten Hag supposed to do?
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I I really didn't want to sort of take this conversation into you know a, a squad conversation because you know we, we just really want to talk about the, the FA Cup um, and 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 and, and the, the demise thereof. So 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 you you make some very good points. You know, especially around the squad depth. Yeah, Eriksson obviously was pretty much called up to step up um in, in in a role that usually that isn't his and and yeah sure um, it's 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 obviously not his strength to be to be a defensive player however um, you know it's 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 the age old for me you're a bloody professional step up it's 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 only a final i'm pretty sure you've been training in this role throughout the week because you know xyz is not available it's not like ten Hag woke up and said Oh yeah, Eriksson, today you're playing this role. I'm pretty sure they would have practiced that week with Eriksson playing that role. So the expectation from a slide as a fan is that this guy's going to step up and at least put in a 99% shift in that role.
0: That's it. Ruben, do you hear what slide has to say? Do you see any merits in this? Or is slide simply saying, you know what? Glenn McGraw, you're a hell of a fast bowler, but Warney's injured. Was injured this week. Can you go out and bowl some leggies for us, please, Glenn? Is that what
2: Slide's saying, or am I am I missing it here? I mean, it's almost reminiscent of when when Graham Smith used to come and put in a few, a few tweakers. But <laughs> no, in in all seriousness, um, I mean, I, th- I think what we need to remember in this particular game versus the rest of the season is that it actually wasn't quite the same deep lying role ericsson has been playing. Uh, you know up up until this point in the season you know he's he's normally operated at the base with Casemiro and in fact oftentimes sometimes even lying sort of deeper than Casemiro he sort of slotted in uh, sometimes along the back line to pick up the ball and and distribute so uh, this was more advanced than he has played for the rest of the season you know you might say that, that that actually the role we've been deploying him in this season has been more effective, you know, I think as he's possibly aged and, and, you know, a little slower than he used to be, not that he was ever a pace merchant, but he's, he's actually looked a lot, a lot better. Um, you know, I think it's, it's been a, com- it was a combination of two factors that sort of put him in that slightly more advanced role this game where you're sort of asking him to also pull that defensive double duty sort of smack bang in the middle of the pitch, which was obviously one that you need to, you needed to deploy Fred. I think that was probably the correct call. But obviously, with Anthony's injury, that kind of really pushed Bruno out right, and and obviously meant that you had to probably put Ericsson in a role that that perhaps Bruno would have looked to occupy if Antony had been able to start. So you know, I I think in that in that sense, not ideal where where he had to be deployed. So you know, I'm I'm reticent to be too harsh on the guy because, as I say, I think he's really acquitted himself very well for a free for a free signing more than anything. You know, in a in a role that he hasn't traditionally played before. So yeah, I don't want to be too harsh, but that said, I, I was yeah, certainly his worst, probably worst performance of the season, unfortunately, in in the FA Cup final.
0: Yeah, although to be fair, you can be the most advanced player in a team, but if your team doesn't have the ball, like was the case for large portions of that match. I mean, I think the uh, sort of possession stats started swaying a little bit in our favour towards you know the end of the game when we tried to push for an equaliser, but by and large. City had 60, 65% off the ball throughout the match, and so when that's the case, and you, you know, naturally are going to be deeper. What ends up happening is your midfield gets dragged deeper and deeper. And again, what are you able to do from a off the ball, off the ball work? And again, a name that you guys mentioned, who not the flashiest player in the world, but excellent off the ball, is is Mason Mountain. and that's why he's he's pretty much all the coaches that he's had at every level seem to love the guy and fans look at him and think i oh, don't understand it we don't get it because you know the average person doesn't understand the off-the-wall work and i think maybe perhaps perhaps a reason if if the rumors are to be true the interest in in, in mount
2: yeah and i think it, it's oddly the one of the best advertisements uh, for for him to come in uh, but slide you have a view <laughs>
1: <laughs> you 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 absolutely love Mason Martin, and I'm not even gonna argue with you there. Yeah, so so I think it's we're probably gonna have another discussion in and around you know potentials and 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 transfers and all the other things. Obviously, Mason being a hot topic. I don't know if you saw a clip of him at the F1 this weekend. He was literally put on 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 the spot there by Martin Brumble But yeah, I think it's 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 one of those where we have a history of 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 doing business. Very, very slowly. This is one of those that could easily, should be done, you know, in the next couple of days. Obviously, there's a bigger sort of thing with the sale of the club and all the other things that come into play. But, um, you know, some some of these players that are available to strengthen the squad, I feel with John Murto and and, and Mr. Arnold in charge at the moment, they could quite easily get these things um, over the line because... The football is going to continue, regardless of who owns the club. So let's get this stuff sorted out. It's not like Ten Hag is going to disappear at the beginning of the new season if if we get new ownership or anything of that sort. What's going to be expected is the results to actually improve in comparison to what happened this season. And the only way that's going to happen is if we get proper squad um, depth and and the reinforcements that Ten Hag is really asking for, and we get a good preseason going. Um, and and some training going as, 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 as a collective. And that's essentially how it's going to work.
0: Yeah, okay. Getting that going and improving results, I guess the key thing is planning, right? What's the plan? Because to be fair, when we signed a lot of these players, people were interested. A lot of these players that haven't worked out. Even Fred... A lot of people were like, oh, Fred Fred was doing amazing stuff for Shakhtar. Even in the Champions League, he looked amazing. Maguire looked amazing for Leicester, England. People were exi- Some people were actually excited by him. So there's been a lot of these signings that in the <laughs> beginning, when they came through, fans were thinking, oh, wow, these guys look look decent. And, and then it just doesn't work out. Or, or, for example, even, you know, I don't want to criticize him, but the legend that he is, but even Varane. Varane's a good defender, but... He's not a Ten Hag player. He's, he's, a, he's a David De Gea of defending. That's what he is. He's a good defender, but he's not, he can't distribute. He might be calm under pressure and all these things, but he can't distribute. He's not press resistant. All these wonderful attributes that, that Ten Hag wants. So again, do we have a clear and concise plan? And if Ten Hag gets fired for some reason down the line, again, is there a plan to get another manager with a similar philosophy and style to utilize Assets that you hopefully will buy with this plan in mind. And, and I guess that's the concern. So we've, there's been no signs that the recruitment team is capable of delivering what we need. And if you look at the signings that we made last season, how many of them truly worked spectacularly? I would argue that maybe not even spectacular, but I think Lizandro has been really good and a key component for us. The rest, I'm not sure. I'm yeah. honestly not sure about
1: the rest of them. Two. It's, it's it's literally two, eh, Kikiron? Um Casemiro and, and Martinez. The the others that have come in, I have I have my reservations in and around them. But yeah, it's it's to me the two that have actually worked out have been Casemiro and, and, and Martinez. But then to just to just go back to you to your point where you, your question around there being a plan. To be honest with you, it doesn't feel like there is one. You you'd expect some level of continuity, you know. So, like you're saying, if if Ten Hag gets fired at some point, the the philosophy, the the sort of type of people that are being recruited, um, and be it a manager or the players that come in, need to be of a certain mold and and fit a certain bill. But that doesn't seem to be something that is coming through at all. From since Sir Alex left, you know, it's 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 like. Fred. Fred was apparently, you know, Mourinho's number five choice in, in, in the midfield role. You know, and, and then we go and get him. But is is that what really Jose wanted? You know, number five on the list. Like why aren't we going for number one or two? So that we literally give the man the tools that he needs. You know. So but, you know, that's 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 now appeasing the manager. Um, if there isn't a structure in place for the football, then anything that happens when a new manager comes into play falls dead into the water when the manager gets dismissed. So it's 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 one of those where I think that plan from a structural standpoint needs to come into play, and I think things will start flowing. Things will start flowing, you know, even the types of managers that we get end up bringing to the club, types of players that become a priority because it makes you wonder what the scouts of the club are doing, you know, what what, what what kind of player are they identifying, what kind of players, what what, 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 what bill are they trying to sort of uh, foot, you know, it's, it's it's one of those where you're thinking, okay, um, we need a striker, you know, then they go and bring you Igalo, you know, is is that guy going to give you the 20, 30 goals that you require, you know, they bring you our, our lanky front striker presser. Is, is he going to give us you know those 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 goals yeah is is he going to give us the goals you know so it's 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 the plan isn't clear cut you know it's, it's it there's no blueprint to say okay, cool this is the type of football that we want to play these are the type of players that we want to do this is the plumbing that we're going to do etc., etc., etc. nothing i don't think doesn't exist
0: well i guess uh, we'll wait and see this window is going to be illustrative of whether there's a change and uh, approach and you would think that if new ownership does occur that whoever the new owners are would want sort of run it like a good business best in class aspire to get best in class in certain departments that's what any business tries to do right? like that's what any competent business tries to do and that's what that's why i guess the whole glazer thing has always baffled me is that why i mean we know you want to extract value out of the club why not put the best people in the specific roles to manage this for you, so that the asset does the work for you, and you, you're able to benefit down the line? It just didn't. Like I could never understand why they, I don't know, just thought they could do what they did with Woodward and the boys in charge uh, for all those years. But anyway, that's a, that's a topic for another day, Ruben, It's getting closer. City, two trophies down. We had our chance to stop them. We couldn't. And uh, now it's on to the Champions League final against Inter. And let me remind you, this is not the Inter of 1999 that uh, Manchester United had to beat with Ronaldo and the boys. This is a different sort of Inter. They're getting the treble, aren't they?
2: Yeah, so, you know, I think the interesting thing is that after United, a team failed to stop you know, Man City due to whatever mental fragility we have that ma- means we concede 16 seconds into a game. Luckily, we have a second bite of the cherry with Man United B team uh, hopefully stopping Man City cold in the final. I have this very nice dream where uh, Matteo Damian dinks someone down the wing, runs across, punts it to him, Katarian, who does a little back flick through to Lukaku. Lukaku, against all odds and expectations, controls it first time on his left foot, Stinks it across to his right and bangs one into the top ends in the corner. It's it's a really lovely dream and I can't actually, uh, I can't imagine that anything else now that I've thought about it could possibly happen in this uh, in this final.
1: <laughs> Ruben, listen, I-, I really hope your dream comes true. <laughs> As you were mentioning those players, I was trying to think of who they'll be running against. So Damian on the left there, maybe up against Akanji if Pep goes the same so Bernardo Silva Akanji probably he's going to be facing or maybe Grealish I think and then Mkhitaryan in the middle there against Stones or or, or Rodri and Ruben Diaz for Lukaku I don't think he's going to control that ball eh? I don't know unless he puts him down and he then scores a penalty I don't know like it's it's yeah that's, that's the difficult one as difficult a pill is it for me to swallow I think is going to freaking
0: do this. I tell you what, Lukaku has been looking better and better every time I've seen him the last few weeks or matches that I've seen him. He's starting to get his groove back and uh, could be right in time to make Ruben's dreams come true. I, I tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts over Djokovic in the final given his recent uh, run of scoring form that he seems to have rediscovered. And for all the derision that is directed at him, you forget that he's still an incredible goal scorer with the... Just absurd amount of goals in his career at this relatively early age of 30. I think that prime Lukaku, switched on Lukaku, a guy that wants to make things happen, is still trouble for any defender in the world. The guy is he's massive, he's strong, he's quick. He knows how to find the back of the net. It's, he must be a nightmare to defend against. And If there's one man who could make Ruben's dream come true, I tell you what, it's Lukaku. Prime Lukaku.
2: Well, it's it's ironic that you say uh, it'll be over Ed and Jacko, Of course, another of the well Manchester Old Boys club. Of course, uh, from the from the wrong side of Manchester. I do think it might be interesting tactically. You know, I mean, I can't think of a team in the Premier League that is sort of playing with two relatively gun players up front. And I mean, of course, you've got Lautaro Martinez. Probably, well, if if it sort of ends up Lukaku Martinez, you know that's not. Typically, uh, a setup that, that that City deploy against, and we know, of course, Pep's habit of of overthinking things. He he might just do uh, something really weird there and and decide, you know, he's, he's not even going to bother with a midfield this game.
0: Foden and goal or you're something.
2: Yeah, Ferdinand and goal, you know, to to counter Lukaku or so, something bizarre like that. But you know, uh, as I say, it it tends to be, it can sometimes happen that when Pep is faced with with something that that isn't you, you know something he's, he's tried and tested against many times that, that he can he can make a slightly odd decision I mean we do know I mean it was not two years ago it's three years ago Champions League final where he just failed to deploy a defensive midfielder you, you know I mean I don't think he's going to leave Rodri out the team but we might see a, some, some kind of odd formation or lineup that that kind of leads to City losing the final themselves possibly so,
0: so what you're saying is the, the classic combination of big man little man is something that might scare Pep. And may Martinez and Lukaku channel 1999 York and Cole.
2: (laughs) Yeah, ironically, that's how my dream started. It was York and Cole, and it morphed into (laughs) Martinez and Lukaku.
0: (laughs) Okay, instead of just hopes and feelings, what one could say is that one of the things that one could really hope for, one of the things one could be optimistic about, is history. Sometimes the weight of history... Can be a thing that we've seen that just somehow gets teams over the line, whether it's historic with Manchester United or Real Madrid in the Champions League. They'll be rubbish in the league and somehow just win the Champions League, or Liverpool at times, or Milan in times. Let's not forget that Inter are one of the great teams of world football and have won the Champions League in its various iterations on three occasions, and Man City, you know, I have not and, and are desperate to get this over the line. I wonder if this desperation to win this trophy that they've been expensively assembled to do is something that will be weighing those players down and something that they'll be able to cope with. Because in Inter side, there's no pressure. No one expects them to win the title. Yet they have a history and a club that has this gravitas behind them that you wouldn't be surprised if they go out there and do it because that that shirt, that blue and black shirt is used to greats being great things happening, great players adorning it. Is that something? Am I crazy? Am I clutching at straws? Or am I, am I more at the hopes and feelings thing? Or, or is, is gravitas, is history something that matters in, in football?
1: If it mattered, my friend, um, I think this past weekend would have been a different result. Um, I think we we probably would have just come out guns blazing and done what history would have done. I think there's the bad, there's an omen with with Pep when he comes to the Champions League final, I guess at this moment, since since he left, since he parted ways with Messi, and 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 I think if anything will be weighing on anyone, it will be Pep more than it is Man City and his squad players. I think people like Kevin De Bruyne, really really want to win this thing, but I think I think it's it's weighing a lot more on Pep than it is on on, on the squad. But I guess there's also this element of how a manager. Um, can literally offload some of that weight onto onto his players during some of these team talks and the like. So he, he could disseminate some of this pressure and weight on, onto his players and maybe change it into some form of motivation, I don't know, but I think Pep has, has a bad omen with the uh, Champions League final and I really hope that it's, it lives long as, as, as a Man United supporter and and, and someone like a Lukaku and 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 a Dzeko lifts lifts the Champions League to to create their own history and defy um, all the odds that are against them, particularly when it comes to to having them win the Champions League. Just speaking of a how insane is it that he's starting? He's the
0: starting forward over Lukaku or has been over Lukaku this season? When he left City, what seems like a decade ago, you know, he was there when they won their first. First league title, and I think what is he like late 30s now? It's just incredible how he's managed to. All these guys, in fact, you know, if you look at the Damians and Mikatarians, the uh, Zeko, that we all, all these guys we've mentioned are sort of uh, on the wrong side of 30 and some of them closer to 40, in fact, and yet are somehow propelling this team to a Champions League final and possibly a victory.
2: I mean, it's interesting in a general sense that a lot, you know, I mean, a lot of players obviously are extending their careers well into their 30s that we never expected before. I mean, and City, just case in point, I mean, look at, I mean, De Bruyne is certainly no spring chicken. I mean, he's not, you know, Eden Dzeko at 37 quite, uh, but, you know, he's getting getting on into his 30s. Um, you know, Gundogan's also also no, no spring chicken. So, yeah, it it does seem... To be that there's perhaps a increased level of technicality in the game at the so some of the midfield and forward roles that kind of allows players who, who kind of have that superior technique to to you know just play at a high level for for many many more years than they used to be able to and uh, I think I mean we're seeing it pan out even um, you know in in this final now um, to a certain extent even our final in the FA Cup you know I mean we had a midfield with several players uh, all, all into their 30s now already. And, and, you know, as I say, it's a relatively similar look uh, from City with some of their key players. Speaking of older players and people extending their careers, the
0: great Swede Zlatan Ibrahimovic announced his retirement from football finally at the age of 41. You know, I, it feels like Zlatan's been around forever. Uh, <laughs> it feels like he has been. I mean, and I guess in an extent, he's, to an extent, he's been around for over 20 years at the highest level, I 23, 24 years as a professional uh, at the highest level. Slide, what are your memories of, of the great man Zlatan Ibrahimovic and, and what is his mark on world football? What, what would you remember him by?
1: Yeah, so I think my first memories of Zlatan were uh, when he was at Barcelona. Um, that's, that's where my first sort of memories come in. Um and, and then obviously his stint at PSG and, and, and then subsequently at, at at United thereafter and the like. You know, this this guy's been a serial winner, um and, and specifically around league titles. Um so he's he's done what some players dream of having to do. So, I'm not going to drop any names, Harry Kane, um, but it's 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 one of those where um, you know you, you, you where, wherever you are, you you are winning. I mean, he's played in multiple leagues, and obviously, he came to the toughest league in the world, which is the Premier League, and that's that's where he obviously wasn't able to win the Premier League. Um, you know, but at least he walked away with a, with a couple of trophies there. But um, it's, it's 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 such a admirable career. Um, to the to the point where you know I think I don't know how many years he went on a row where he was just getting medals for for for, for winning league titles um, and 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 that that's that's just a feat on its own you know um, and if, if if when you do something of that nature to that caliber you know you you then start having the sort of arrogance that he had had you know with some of his bold statements you know. Calling himself a lion and all the, the other things, um, and and I think he he, he deserves you know all, all the kudos um, for for what he's achieved.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think it's easy to because we've been in this Messi and, and Cristiano Ronaldo era of of excellence. People think that players who aren't on that level are not not great or don't mm-hmm. revere them to the extent that they should. And I think Zlatan truly is one of those greats. I don't think we've ever seen a player of that size have the technique and touch that Zlatan had in, of a football. It was incredible. He had the touch of a little Spanish midfielder, if, if you will. He had an ability to control the ball that other other players would dream of. And it's just so unheard of, really unheard of. And if you look at Haaland, Haaland's, yes, a goal machine, goal-scoring machine, but he, he could never do the things that Zlatan did in terms of mm. just... Being technically brilliant so with me that's the thing that always stands out and like just the character as well of the game there's lots of famous stories with Zlatan but the one that Stephen Pinau talks about when they were rooming together back at the Ajax days where the fire alarm goes off and they're told to leave the rooms and Pinau grabs his bag and he's about to leave and Zlatan says no no don't don't go you have to take my bag as well <laughs> you know like just just like Vintage Latin, you know, this, this larger-than-life lion persona that came on years later. I think in, the, in his early days, if you will, he was seen as arrogant and a lot of people didn't like him because arrogance can be quite divisive unless that arrogance is, is on your side, so to speak. But as with age, he's become more and more likable and become this character that we've all, uh, or, or many people have come to, to grow, uh, to, to love, to warm to and admire. And uh, I think there was a period from his Ajax season all the way up to the end of Milan So from the 2004 to roughly the 2011 season, where he won the league title every year, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it?
2: Look, and before I even get into that, uh, I mean, I think we also have to add, like, huge congratulations uh, to retirement on on Zlatan. (laughs) 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 <laughs> but <laughs> besides that, uh, uh, yeah. Look, I mean, it's it's yeah, a fantastic achievement, and uh, it kind of uh, strange that you know, not so very long ago, we were talking about uh, Kingsley Coman and how he's. Every single, uh, essentially, season of his senior career, he's he's won his league title. Um, I, I think I, I think he blanked at the time. He I think it was his was it his first season at Inter. I think was was literally the only blank that he had, literally until he more or less came across to us. So in that sense, I'm glad that we were able to offer him at least a you know a, a Carabao Cup and a, and a Europa League final. But but yeah, I mean, phenomenal achievement, and I, th- I think it's one of those that he really continued to be an outright goal threat, uh, you know, not in the sense of, oh, I need to drop down and play for small teams and and lower leagues like, you know, I mean, Pelé with his whatever thousand goals he ended up probably playing in Toronto and and stupid things like that. You know, I mean, he was literally playing for for serious clubs in in serious leagues in his late 30s and and scoring, you know, and and in fact being a key goal scorer, which is, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think he's kind of charted a, a new mold of, of sort of aging striker as it as it were. You know, obviously strange thing that he came across to United in this this kind of period that we've had where we just refuse to sign a striker other than an aging one and then getting one really good season out of them and then having them either get crocked or, or like, weirdly, you know, falling off the boil. So, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I mean, Zlatan possibly the first one, but but obviously our great first season that ended in a really unfortunate injury. So, you know, I think for us it's quite sad we didn't get to see him uh, have a second good season. You know, I think it could have made a big difference. Um, maybe it could have saved Jose, who knows. You know, then Cavani comes in next. Again, the aging striker... Technical skills, one really good season, and then uh, and then he got Ronaldo, unfortunately, and then you know, Ronaldo, one one really good season, and then and then Ronaldo, Ronaldo himself. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think as I say, he's you know as a Man United fan, he's indicative of a slightly strange era in our recruitment. Um, but you know, as a as a football fan, yeah, I, I can you know do do nothing but uh, but sort of applaud him and and wish him the best when he takes his retirement at the Avocado Farm.
0: Yeah, I think it also speaks to just the greatness of the man, the the clubs he's played for. I mean, to go Ajax, uh, Juventus, Inter, um, Milan, of course, Manchester United at the age that he did, it was incredible. And, you know, at the time people were saying, well, this guys he's old, he's 34, whatever the case was at the time, he's he's passed it, he's coming to the Premier League, he's not going to cope. Not only did he cope, but he dominated at at, at the grand old age in a team that was very much in transition uh, and went on to win as you say win win a few trophies with us that season and, and it's it's uh, as you say unfortunate that that injury did occur when it did and miraculous that he did recover from it goes to LA and plays there <laughs> yeah. you know almost as a retire retirement tour and then says you know what I'm too good for this league still let me go back to let me go back to Europe and goes to Milan and delivers their first league title in 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 a decade or whatever the case was just tr- truly remarkable and and will be um, remembered uh, for me anyway really fondly as one of the true greats of the game and if you if you go after that sort of ronaldo il fenomeno period into the next the next sort of great striker for me it it is zlatan zlatan is head and shoulders above the rest of them and for one reason or the other just didn't stick around at at a club where he could stat pad uh, necessarily, like you know, if he was in Madrid for his entire career or Barcelona when they were dominant, like a lot of these his contemporaries, I think he'd have just a ridiculous goal scoring record. So I think succeeded wherever he went and will be remembered as one of the true characters of the game. Yeah, no, hundred
1: percent, I think um, he's he, he's done he's done wonders um, for his career, and I think you know you, 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 it makes you wonder you know the type, the type of character that he is obviously he, he you know the the, the, mod, the modern day um, you know footballer wants wants stats you know and, and go for certain glory and all the and the like um, but then you, you, you find someone in Zlatan who's who's wanting the next challenge three seasons I'm out three seasons I'm out two three seasons I'm out and wanting to go to set a new, a new bar at, 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 at in a new location, a new league or a new club, um, which which is which is such um, a great a great feat. I mean, I'd actually f- totally forgotten about about the whole La Galaxy thing um, that you've just mentioned now, um, and that <laughs> that's just so typical of Zlatan, eh? Um, and and true true testament to his character. So so yeah, it's it, what a what a career the man has had. Eh?
0: And speaking of careers, Jose Mourinho, the special one. You know, it was a meeting of the immovable object and the unstoppable force were Sevilla, with their six out of six Europa League triumphs, and Jose Mourinho with his 100% record in Europa League in European competition finals. One of them had to fold, and after 90 minutes, 120 minutes, in fact, we couldn't separate the two. It truly was a stalemate, and that could only be decided on penalties. The game wasn't particularly remarkable. however. Mr. Mourinho, Jose, the special one had a meltdown after the game. Ruben, why was Jose so upset? What happened that made Jose lose it?
2: So look, it was a fairly typical Jose approach to a final, I think. Grab your first goal, set out your stall to, to defend, and, and then of course unluckily for unluckily for Jose's team grabbed the second goal as well, just into the wrong net. And when you're playing on those kind of fine margins, obviously the fine calls from referees mean that much more so you know what Jose was was particularly hot under the collar about was two incidents ready one is a, a you know to my mind fairly good penalty shot but we'll chat about that from Fernando uh, for for handball and then the second one was uh, sort of quite late on in the game lamela um, you know committing a foul that again another ref another day could well have been a yellow card um, you know and then that would have had a lot of second yellow would have had a big influence on the rest of that game uh, you know, not least the penalty shootout, you know. So, for sure, you know, you you could see, yes, it's the type of game where a coach would be upset. Certainly the type of game where a coach like Jose would be upset. But, you know, uh, we can talk about the penalty, of course, quickly, which is to say that, you know, if, if you, again, if you if I were the ref that day, yeah, I'd probably give the penalty. Uh, to me, it looks like Fernando's arm moves slightly towards the ball, hits his arm in a, in a sort of position that is possibly natural, but certainly making his body quite large, you know, as the rules require. So, you know, probably, yeah, I'd call it 80% a penalty. Not, not so stonewall, though, that Jose's later, well, in-game reaction where, if I'm not mistaken, he got cautioned, but also then later reaction, uh, you know, just not that it can ever be justified, but certainly that kind of penalty call wouldn't have justified what happened, which... You know, if you haven't seen the the video clips here on and sliders, is, is you know some very colourful language. Uh, you know, certainly at, at the very least, I heard Portuguese and English. Um, he, uh, you know, puta de madre, ridiculous. Uh, you know, ridiculous, uh, you know the, the, some of the things that he that he called them. You know, so. Um, fucking disgrace, I think. But, you know, so, you know, in, in a long, ongoing tirade at poor Anthony Taylor in the parking lot, I mean, to, to think about it, to, that level of pettiness, and we do know Jose is a bit of a petty man at times, but to hang around the parking lot of a stadium for an hour wait for a referee to start walking to his car and then to berate him with a you know a string of expletives um you know is is just i mean it's just uh, you know unconscionable behavior i mean i do see that uh, you know the your um uefa have uh, have obviously charged him I, I think he could be probably looking at a fairly lengthy I don't know what, touchline ban, something like that. Certainly, I think they will take action. They actually, ironically, after his rant, were somewhat forced into investigating uh, Taylor's performance. I believe uh, I saw a little bit earlier that they'd actually cleared him. So they said, you know, we're essentially happy with... All of your calls, nothing problematic there. And, of course, just a a generally very grumpy old game. I think there was something like 13 yellow cards dished out. So, in fact, both Sevilla and Roma have been uh, uh, called up for, you know, I think it's standard if more than five yellow cards get dished out, you have to be, uh, you know, charged for disorderly conduct. So, you know, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I I think uh, a a game that, you know, where the quality of of the play certainly didn't, uh, you know, translate into... um, you know, the, the level of acrimony that got generated during that game.
1: Jose Mourinho, I prefer not to speak. You know, it's it's it's, 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 it's one of those... I can tell this was an emotional game for him, for starters. Um, even with the way he celebrated after that first goal. And his reaction to the own goal as well. It, it was an, a seriously emotional game. I, I, I could swear that this guy is actually planning on retiring, or was planning on retiring, Um Based on how emotional this was, um, and and the way he was reacting, um, and you're saying you heard Spanish, you heard Italian, English was mentioned there. I'm pretty sure if we sort of look somewhere online, we're gonna find a couple of South African colloquials um, mentioned as well. He's using some Zulu and is closer there, but you know, it's it's the guy was really devastated. From from a human standpoint, I can understand what he was doing. From a footballing standpoint, I think obviously there's there's certain things that need to be controlled. You know, like your emotions. And um, you know, for, for for a football club's manager, you're not expecting that type of reaction. But he's he, he's calling Anthony Taylor um, a disgrace, obviously with with the f word in front of it. And he's gone out. And that's, that's essentially what's what he was saying to this guy. So I've looked at a couple of clips of that penalty. Quite frankly, to me, that's a pen. I don't care what angle it is you look at it from. It's a penalty. I think VAR need to... I don't know what needs to happen with, with VAR, to be honest. I think Anthony Taylor being an English ref doesn't help the cause because most of the worst VAR calls have come from the English Premier League. And it's it's it's, it's one of those where you, you you're looking at... Some of the pens that, that are given in the Premier League and he then goes to the Europa final, he doesn't give it. But he if he was Manchester Derby or side Derby, he, he would probably give it as a penalty in, in a heartbeat without even needing VAR. But, you know, it's, it's the lack of consistency that, that's that's making this very, very painful. For us to then try to sort of pull out rule books and say, you know, natural body position and, you know, making myself bigger yada 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 if there was some form of consistency with some of the decisions we wouldn't even be quoting some of these things it's it's a blatant penalty maybe when the lines are blurry you then bring out okay you know clause number 16.4.5 dictates that or states that then we can sort of look at it that way but yeah I think it's that consistency that's lacking with V that, that is killing this this game and it's gonna be, it's gonna take a lot I don't know if, if AI needs to take over referee games I don't know. But it might it might just freaking change the entire landscape. There will be no people being sworn at from a dis- being a disgrace and all the other things. People maybe might sleep better at night as well, like less less emotions running through the events. But yeah, I think that that that's my take on on, on the final. Um, well done to Severe seven out of seven, and then luck to Mourinho um, for for losing that that seventh one.
0: So there's a couple of thoughts running through my mind here when you, with this. Is that one. If we, if you're the two of you are saying that you think it should have been a pen to Roma, and you probably think that Lamela should have got the second yellow, which means he would have got sent off as well, those are two pretty major decisions. While you don't want to see abuse towards a referee, you can understand why Mourinho's lost his mind, especially someone who is a serial winner, someone who. Whom us mortals don't understand. Maybe don't quite, quite can't gr- grasp the competitive nature of someone like that who wants to win and feels like it's been snatched away from them by, let's say, incompetence. Can you understand why Mourinho lost his mind, Ruben? Does that make sense, or, or is it just inexcusable to, at any level, to behave the way he did?
2: Look, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I and mean, I'm at risk of sounding like, uh, you know, a "woe is me" type tirade. We've suffered from a few decisions this year, you know, and it's it's not just the Reds we've been given, it's the ones that we haven't. So the frustration is there, and I think it's, you know, you see it in a lot of games. I seem to recall Brighton got absolutely robbed against uh, Spurs as well this season at a, at a stage where it really impacted their top four charge. You know, so it's, I think the, the disbelief that is there is we brought VAR in, We've seen a similar type of system be incredibly successful in rugby, in cricket. You know, I mean, I I think, you know, even NFL has, you know, the the refs will go and check out videos. So, you know, it it just seems bizarre. Why can football, the biggest, most lavishly funded sport of them all, not get it right? You know, and and I think the English referees, honestly, have, have been particularly bad this season. But uh, I mean, I, I think the bit we do need to be clear about, obviously, is that, you know, I mean, you expect both Jose as, as a professional, that's not a, a reaction. Really, that that you can do. I understand the frustration. I really do. And as a fan, I might rant and scream. But but you know, to do that as as a as a coach and not expect a massive sanction, uh, unforgivable. And let's not forget, uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the Roma fans showed up at the airport and abused his family. You know, so you have to wonder: Did Jose enable that to some extent? You know, if you're a fan and you see Jose ranting like that, it probably puts you in a in a pretty hot headed state of mind. I mean, I might also you know, stroll down to the airport and, and sort of start, uh, you know, looking at the ref if, <laughs> if, if you know, I'd, I'd seen my coach enabling that kind of behavior. You know, and, and obviously, you know, I mean, like it's the same, you know, when you start thinking about players descending on Harry Maguire's house and, and bomb threats and that kind of thing. You know, ultimately it's a game, a game we all get very passionate about. But, you know, when you start carrying it beyond that, threatening people, threatening people's lives, uh, you know, uh, you know, harassing their families, I mean, that's, I, I think, definitely a line that's been crossed.
1: I, I I feel the fans would have still gone to the airport regardless of of Mourinho's reaction. Maybe I, yeah, I, I maybe. strongly feel that that would have happened. They uh, they they they're just using Mourinho as as a figure to fuel that sort of.
2: Yeah, but he but he put himself out. in that situation, right? I mean, he didn't certainly didn't help himself
1: there. Yeah, hundred no, percent.
0: Final word on on the Europa League final. Sevilla winning seven Europa leagues is just. It's a ridiculous step. It doesn't make sense <laughs> any way you look at it. How is it possible that this team? You know, we we are told that winning these cup competitions it's really difficult, and that's why teams hardly have have achieved this in their history. You know, you look at teams like uh, Arsenal. I'd have zero European pedigree. You have teams, like massive clubs, who struggle to win a uh, silverware in Europe. City again attempting to knock that door down for the first time. Yet, you Sevilla, who are routinely, what, the fourth, fifth best team in Spain on average, and they somehow just win this trophy time after time. Um, slide,
1: how is this possible? So, I saw, I saw this graphic of uh, <laughs> Sevilla's strategy, season in, season out, which pretty much stipulates what you've just mentioned, where, you know, it's, it's they don't really play for the league. They'll, if they do, and they make the top four, whatever it is... Um, They're in the Champions League, but sure as hell they're going to get knocked out um, in order for them to drop into the Europa and then they'll thrive in the Europa League and then that's the cycle that they usually just follow, um, season in, season out. Obviously with the odd occasion where it goes to another team that that ends up winning it, but it seems that they've got that sort of methodology waxed. But I think, you know, all all, all conspiracies aside, it's I guess it's, it's the luck of the draw, eh? You get moved to the Europa League, and then you just do what you need to do. If if you then get the lucky draw, you know you get a bunch of games that you a path that's gonna you know lead you to the final, and it's it's the least resistant in comparison to the others that you have the bigger teams that are challenging each other. The chances of you winning are a lot higher. So I guess it's 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 also football gods or the Europa gods being on Sevilla's side for a very consistent period. At that, I I can't I can't think. Without sort of calling match-fixing or anything like that in this modern day. In, in any other way where, you know, they've got the luck of the draw. And, you know, they've just been playing consistent football. And, and that's essentially it.
0: Yeah, I, I'm at odds to, to come up with a better reason than the football gods are smiling at, at them as well. It just doesn't make sense, one way or the other. I guess, great for them. If you're a Sevilla fan, I guess you're you're very happy once again. So... Any final thoughts on the Europa League uh, and Sevilla's accomplishment, Ruben?
2: Look, I mean, it, I mean, it used to be I think that that uh, golden combo of Sevilla and Unai, right? and and then you could you could understand it and put it in some perspective. It also seems, you know, I mean, may, maybe there's just something inherent in the style of football that Spain play. You know, I mean, you've got to think, well. Real Madrid obviously have won a fairly unprecedented number, you know, especially in recent years, of of these uh, cup, European Cup competitions. Well, specifically the Champions League, and uh, and Sevilla pulling it off uh, as well. You know, it's sort of a, a maybe a, a sort of blend of uh, you know kind of conservative siege mentality type type football that Sevilla do. You know, and it's not quite the style of football that Real Madrid play, but they've obviously cracked that knockout competition uh, nut somewhat. From Sevilla's perspective, I think you can maybe also think of it as, you know, how difficult it is, you know, to break through to that, you know, Barcelona Barcelona and Real Madrid somewhat monopoly. I mean, I know there haven't been the only two teams that have won it in, you know, the, the Liga in recent years. But, you know, when you really only realistically as a fairly decent, you know, team that will show up in Europe quite often, when the only realistic option of silverware is, is cup competitions, I suppose you probably start leaning towards, you know, figuring out, how to be cup specialists.
0: It still doesn't make sense because if it was that simple, a lot of teams would just want to figure out, you know, Tottenham, for example, Oh, let's be cup specialists yeah. and win the Europa league every season or whatever. Right. Like uh, it, I think it's too simplistic to, to pin it to that, but maybe, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something again, maybe it's, you go back to suddenly they have this history. That's uh, <laughs> This recent history, granted, it's, it's, but it's a, you know, people are mentally defeated when they go in there so you think, oh God, it's severe again. They're going to win again, aren't they, in this competition? Sort of like Real Madrid in the, in the Champions League. And, and I, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the stat during the rounds where a Spanish team hasn't lost any European Cup final to a non Spanish team for over 20 years, which is bonkers. Yeah. So once they get there, they get to that final, they just, they just somehow win. So even through this period where the English League, Tends to have the most money and the deepest squads, etc. The Spanish team somehow still g- just get it done, which is remarkable.
2: Like football, sometimes just generates odd stats. You know who's got the, the record for the scoring the most Premier League, uh, you know, m- most games in a row in the Premier League? Jamie Vardy. It's not to say he's better than two dozen strikers that have been through that league, but he's the one who just the stats just one day all lined up perfectly and got the record. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, sometimes these anomalous things do just happen in, in football, I suppose. So you could chalk it up, you know, maybe there's, there's someone who's a better football analyst than the three of us who could figure out the whys. But sometimes, yeah, you just have to, I guess, accept that uh, that's the vagaries of football.
0: Vagaries of football, indeed. I, I think with that, I think we've, we've uh, had enough for today. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again next week.